Should be a fun show today, Lauren. I'm sure it will be a special Thanksgiving edition. That's right. We have not only much to be thankful for that we'll talk about, but we've got some family and, you know, family gets together Thanksgiving. My aunt and uncle, Drs. Alan and Charlene Steen, are here. We're going to be hearing a bit about their recent travels, their view on world travels, and and getting to... Uh, Getting to know my aunt. Uh, Uncle, you've been on a few times, and we've had some fun together. I loved every minute. It's really a joy. Well, thank you. And then Aunt Charlene is here, so thank you for joining. Oh, thank you for inviting me. And we might even meet a friend of yours. Who knows? Yes, you might invite. You might meet Sybil. Sybil. Uh-oh. Looking forward to that. I know what that means. Stay tuned, folks, and you will, too. Uh, in the meantime, what do you think, Lauren? We invite you to join Judd and his family's winery at the south end of Silverado Trail at Judd's Hill Winery here in beautiful Napa Valley, California, USA. That's right. Visiting information can be found online at juddshill.com. And uh, while you're online, you can look around at our funny and quirky videos. You can find some wine-related poetry. And you can put some wine in your shopping cart. Just for being an avid listener, type in coupon code JNVS, all in lowercase letters, please, and you'll get 15% off your entire wine order. That's right, and that's a little perk for being a listener. But if you want a better deal than that, what can they do? You can join the Judd's Hill Wine Club anytime. That's right. Whether, it, whether well, it's at 8 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning. You can do that by being online as well at judshill.com. Information on our wine club, which is the best wine club in Napa Valley. I'm convinced of that. It's free to join. You get all of our wines. You get good times, invitations to events. And I, I can't say enough nice things about it. Not that I'm biased or anything. Oh, and you get Judd, who is, he's a magician. He's a musician. He's a radio announcer. He's in everything. He's just a pretty spectacular nephew to have. Thank you, Aunt Charlene. <laughs> Appreciate it. This is why it's nice to have family around, Lauren. It is. <laughs> and now let's enjoy the show. Now, well, not only that, let's have ourselves a Thanksgiving feast. <laughs> Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. A Thanksgiving Thought we tend to forget that happiness doesn't come as a result of getting something we don't have, but rather of recognizing and appreciating what we do have. And now, live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's a special Thanksgiving edition of Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host... Judd Finkelstein! Thank you very much, Mr. Lauren Mole. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Judd. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And, and let's just get to the special edition of Thanksgiving right now, right at the top of the show, without any further delay. Okay. And what I'm appreciative of, some, I am appreciative of something that I do have, and that is that I've got Mr. Lauren Mole as the announcer for this show, lending his air of professionalism to uh, an otherwise pretty uh, kooky hour of radio. So thank you very much, Lauren Mole, for being here. My pleasure, Judd. Same to you. Thank you. 
What's going on? What are you up to these days? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Well, actually, uh, we're going to be switching things around this year for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, normally, we would go up to my grandparents' house up in Lake Almanor, which right. is five hours away from here, but not this year. i got to work on Friday and Saturday, still, so instead, they're coming down here to well, Napa. That, okay, well, that's nice. At least you get to go see them. Right, and yeah. and my uncle's coming down, too, from San Pablo. He's a, uh, he's a tile contractor. Okay, so you've got the whole family. Yeah, pretty well, much the whole quite, family. Well, quite, it's, quite it's a all, few folks. Well, it's it's just my dad's side of the family. Well, that, I'm sure you're going to have a wonderful time. Are you going to be doing any cooking? We talked about this a bit last week. Uh, very much. You are going to do some? Some, but I will help my mom in the kitchen. You'll help. What are some of the uh, Mole family specialties for Thanksgiving? Turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy. Oh, that sounds good. That's right. You are a traditionalist, I, I recall. I this, But that is good stuff. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Exactly. And then you got to work. So maybe some uh, folks can come uh, say hello and happy Thanksgiving to you while you're over at Rayleigh's. Maybe. Friday and Saturday? Friday and Saturday. Okay. Well, good. Yeah, you know, people need to get out after Thanksgiving and buy some stuff to, to doctor up their leftovers. Hmm. So they should come see you, Mr. Courtesy Clerk. Will, and you'll promise to be courteous. Uh, uh, well, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, so what's been going on with you, John? Um, you know, same thing, prepping for Thanksgiving. We're, right. we're, we're hosting it, and... I'm not too stressed. I did a little rehearsal. I got a turkey. I wanted to try a bit of a new method. I usually do my father's method, which uh, I will be doing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up just a bit. So I did a, I did a rehearsal. Usually it's on the Weber grill, uh, smoked for a few hours, and then a little special secret recipe Asian glaze on top of that, and it's just delicious. But I got a new grill, so what I had to do is, is do a rehearsal turkey last week. It came out pretty good. Started cooking a little too hot too quickly, but I recognized that right away and was able to adjust on the fly, and things came out. And the secret, by the way, you got to brine it. Got to brine it. The brining makes everything uh, better. The brine is better is what I'm trying to say here. It kept, even though we had that hot cooking right at the, uh, right at the outset, the birds still came out nice and uh, moist. The brine helps retain the, uh, the juiciness of it, and it was delicious. Wow, that's amazing. I, I was very pleased. So that's, that's Thanksgiving. That's, uh, that's always fun. I love cooking. We call it at our house a communal feast, which is a nicer way of saying a potluck. So wow. not all the cooking's on me. We ask folks to bring stuff too, and it always works out. I've got, some, I got something I just dropped. I've got some news about the Hanukkah Hootenanny, which folks have been asking about, and I have been getting some emails, and the winery has been getting calls. This is the annual Judd's Hill Hanukkah Hootenanny. It's coming up on December 11th, and it's a benefit for Community Health Initiative Napa County, which is a wonderful organization that makes sure that all residents of Napa County have access to health care and health insurance. So as I say, a healthy community is just that, a healthy community. So I'd like to support that. Anyhow, the Hanukkah Hootenanny is sold out. Wow. It sells out every year, but this is probably the earliest it has ever sold out. We're still in November, and uh, tickets are no longer available. However, if you are a member of our Judd's Hill Wine Club, we can still squeeze you in. That's it. But we have had to pull all the tickets for the general public. They just they went, and we're getting close to, to, to uh, a, a record sellout. I mean, it's just people are clamoring for this. It's always a fun party. So I hope folks will... Join the wine club if they haven't already. We guarantee you not only this Hanukkah Hootenanny, but great times throughout the year with, of course, Judd's Hill Wines at a really good deal. So that's coming up December 11th, 
And information on that party and joining the wine club is at judshill.com. Check it out. We have a beautiful, newly redesigned website worth a few moments of your time. And also, folks can look up our cruise to Alaska, which is coming up. If they go to judshill.com and click on the events tab, where you'd also find the Hanukkah Hootenanny and all our other events, is the Alaska cruise. That's June 30th through July 7th, 2017. It's going to be a blast. Um, beautiful wine-paired dinner, wine tastings, excursions, wine seminars from me, so I'll make sure that they're entertaining and engaging, and uh, lots of adventure. I think there's excursions, as I said, to uh, glaciers and kayaking and fishing and all that great stuff of Alaska. So I hope folks will join us. Grizzly bears. Would you like to have an excursion with a grizzly bear? (laughs) I wish. Really? Are you a bear guy? Do Do you like bears? I like bears. Okay, well, maybe we'll get you on this cruise and we can see if we can set you up for an excursion with a bear. Maybe the two of you can go uh, kayaking together or something. (laughs) Who knows? No? Okay, well, we can talk about that off the air. Lauren. Yes. We have some guests here. Oh, we finally have guests in the studio this week. Finally have guests in the studio. That's right. The last two weeks have been fun. We've had our Judd's Hill musical bonanza where we've revisited past guests through their music. Absolute and here, And I've loved it. It's been tons of fun. But now we're back to talking to real live people. We are. Which is also fun. And this is going to be really no exception. That's right. Would you please introduce our guests? Well, Judd, I have the paper right here in my hand. Okay. I'd be honored to. All right. With wit as sharp as a knife, he shared great stories of his life. Now, fourth time on the show, it's about time, don't you know? That he let us talk to his wife, doctors <laughs> Alan and Charlene Steen. Ah, that's right, Doctor Alan Steen, back for your fourth appearance, and this time you've brought along your lovely bride, Doctor Charlene Steen. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having us. Yes. Well, I better tell you that I'm just Doctor Steen. She's Doctor. Dr. Steen. Dr. Dr. Steen. You, I mean, yeah, you got to give her her due. You're a multi-degreed person. Should we, should we get right into that? We know that you have a, uh, you, you have a law degree. You have right. at least one PhD, but you have a couple of those. Well, I have a couple of master's degrees. I and have a, couple- a doctor in law and a doctor of psychology. My goodness. Where do you draw the line? Well, I just like going to school. <laughs> That's it. Ah. I'm going to turn up your mic just a touch there. Yeah, you are. I mean, that is, that is your thing. So... I don't even know where to start with you. There's there's so much to talk about. We've had Dr. Allenstein. This is your fourth time on the show. We call him Napa Valley's Most Interesting Man. And after the last time, we promised to have you back to hear about your travels, which you just came back from. So we're going to get to that. But since this is uh, Dr. Charlene Steen's first time, we need to get to know her a little better. My mother said, ladies first. <laughs> okay. Well, here we go. You, sir, are a gentleman and a scholar, and that's what I like about you. And a judge of fine Irish whiskey. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay. So where shall we start with you? My, my goodness, the, the many degrees, your musicianship, your ventriloquism. Where do we start with you? <laughs> where, where shall we start? Where do you want to talk about? Let's, let's let you drive. Oh, I don't know. Wherever you'd like to. Okay, then let's let's get ventriloquized again. This let's get there because this is probably my earliest memories of you as a kid. And for those who are just tuning in for the first time and haven't heard me speaking to Doctor Allenstein before, uh, he is my uncle, which makes you my aunt, Aunt Charlene. So I've known you my whole life, and some of my earliest memories are of your ventriloquism. 
That's and, right. And some of those memories are even pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I kid, but I always loved it. But I know some kids, sometimes you would do it for a little party or something, and some kids get a little freaked out by... Well, little teeny kids do. Yeah, because of, yeah. I think the funniest thing I ever did was for a party where a woman who was a wrangler for the, the movie industry who had a chimpanzee and invited me to ventriloquize. And my dummy was talking, and the chimp was out. And the chimp got very jealous of the dummy. And first of all, started swinging from the drapes. Oh, my and goodness. And when, when, when that didn't garner the attention the chimp wanted, the chimp went up and, and smacked my dummy in the stomach. Really? Really. Where, wait, where was this? There was a chimp running around? What, this what? is in, in Palos Verdes. Oh, my goodness. And that's, just, that's a normal thing for birthday parties, to have ventriloquists and chimpanzees running? No, they asked me to ventriloquize. It was a big party. And she was a, a wrangler, and she had a lot of animals on her property. And she had Chimp Polly out, who was <laughs> dressed in a dress. And yes, it was it, uh, very that, amusing. That, yeah, that that is something. You've been doing ventriloquism since you were a kid, correct? Yeah, since I was about thirteen. I'd ask you to do some right now, except on the radio. I'm not sure that plays. Except we know Edgar Bergen made a great career of ventriloquizing That's on true. the radio. That's true. Which seems. Well, we could ask Sybil to say hello if you'd like. Would you like to introduce who Sybil is? Uh, Uh, Sybil is uh, my altar. Uh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was treating uh, some women with multiple personality disorder, and they um, made me an honorary multiple. Oh, congratulations. And... uh, but Sybil is, has white, curly hair, just like mine, mm-hmm. and um, says things I can't possibly say. Well, maybe we should hear from Sybil. Sybil, do you want to say hello? Hello. How are you? Uh, good morning, Sybil. What, uh, what's, what's been on your mind lately? Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I, I just think what Charlene thinks. <laughs> but she doesn't think very much, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sybil, now that's not the nicest thing to say about Charlene. She's a, a lovely lady. We know she thinks uh, quite a bit. She has all these different degrees. She's been a guest speaker at symposiums around the world. Um, how can you say she doesn't think much? It's easy. I'm not thinking very much, and it comes from her. <laughs> well, Sybil, I, I, I don't know what to say to you. But yeah, it, It's nice to see you again. It's been a long time. How's life in the... Uh, in the in the trunk, <laughs> <laughs> it's cold and it's dark, and she's mean and abusive. Charlene is mean and abusive. How so? Well, she locks me in a trunk. And what would you like to be doing with your time? Oh, I'm flirting with some guys. <laughs> well, uh, there's a handsome young man right across from you here, Lauren. What do you think of Sybil here? <laughs> I think I'm kind of fifty-fifty on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sybil, it was a pleasure seeing you again. It's been way too long. Uh, I, I do have much I want to talk to Charlene about. Okay. Uh, so Goodbye, Sybil. Goodbye. All right, Sybil. Thanks for making an appearance. <laughs> so vent- ventriloquism, uh, now did that lead you anywhere down the road to any of this, uh, any of your degrees, your law degree or ventriloquism? Well, I think my it led me to my art degree because I slept through my big professional debut. What? I had a late date, and the dormitory was closed, and I was supposed to be on a big national TV show, and this is my it. friend gave me an alarm clock that didn't work. Oh, no. And so my career as a ventriloquist ended. That was it. That was it. I remember thinking my life was over. 
Oh, no. But now I'm kind of happy. I wouldn't like to play second fiddle to a dummy all my life. <laughs> I know he's got a comment for that. Uh, I, saw I, the, I saw the wheels turning. You were holding back, uh, Uncle. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, I learned that restraint is a very good trait to have. <laughs> and uh, my, my, my father said to me when I was quite young that uh, think twice before you say something and you probably won't. Yeah. Uh, good advice. <laughs> good advice. Uh, uh, you go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, I was going to get – so you slept through your big debut – what Correct. would have been your debut on national right. television, and that and led you. I was you... pretty blackballed from Hollywood, so that led me to change oh. my major to art, oh. and I got my first bachelor's and master's degree in art history. And you are very involved in the arts. I mean, not only do you appreciate art, know art history, you are an artist. Uh, I've seen your paintings, beautiful, and when you travel, and that is what we're going to be getting to. I know that's a big reason. That you do travel, but we're gonna we're gonna get to that. So a world in the arts, and you're a musician as well. I mean, arts all around. Yeah, and, play the cello, and you still perform uh, the cello in chamber groups, the Solano. I play with the Solano Symphony, which yeah. has a concert a week, the week after next. Yeah, how would folks find out? Google Solano Symphony. Uh, yes, yeah, Solano Symphony, and they're just playing one one concert this set in uh, Vacaville. Okay. And I'm the, the last cellist in the symphony, which tells you how good I am. <laughs> but you, you made the cut into the symphony, so I think that's Well, that's, that's because I give my salary back. Oh, <laughs> well. Look, I've heard you. I think you're pretty good. What do I know? But, okay, so we, we've established your artsy side. We've uh, touched on your academic side. And your specialty, and we're going to gloss over the whole law degree, if you want to, well, I mean, well, I mean, well, I was you, the I was the only attorney in Yountville when we first came here. My predecessor became a, a waiter at Domaine Chandon. Better pay, apparently. Yeah, my goodness. <laughs> All right, so you were okay. So you have that claim to fame, the only attorney in Yountville. But I'm very curious to get to your your life as of. I mean, what do we what do we call it? Forensic psychology. What Correct. is the is that is that yes. the right term? And uh, you have an Amazon page, even. Uh, folks can look up. You've written some books on this subject. Yeah, the four of my books are on Amazon. And mm. a lot of that has to do with working with sexual offenders. That's correct. What drew you to this line of work? And particularly uh, multi-personality, multiple-personality sexual offenders. Well, those weren't I mean, this, sexual offenders. Oh, those weren't? No, but those I'm saying, this just... is pretty niche yeah, I prefer the sex offenders. They're easier to work with. Oh, I've never heard anybody say that on the show here. But, <laughs> Me neither. Uh, yeah. Okay, so what dry, drew you to this, uh, this, well, this line? I was always interested in criminals. And when I was going to go to college, I couldn't decide whether to go into correctional criminology or into theater arts for the ventriloquist side. And my yeah. mother said, who will you meet in correctional criminology? <laughs> I think she thought I'd marry a murderer or something. Oh, no. So I went into the arts. But I, I just kind of came full circle around. And when I first got a master's in social work before my doctorate in psychology and started, uh, I worked with, in, in my internships for the social work, I worked for Napa County Mental Health and Solano County mental health in their forensic units, mm. working with criminals. And it was just fascinating, maybe because I was such a goody-goody, but it was fascinating to me, you know, finding out why people stepped over the line and how we could help them stay within the, the bounds of society. 
I mean, your your books have to do with um, preventing relapse. Right. Most of most of the books are on basically are treatment books. They're not real people books. Mm-hmm. They're uh, uh, workbooks to for therapists to use with their um, criminal offenders. This is a talk show, so I'm going to ask you any favorite stories you care to share with uh, in regards to working with some of these interesting people? Well, when I was evaluating offenders as sexually violent predators, I really had some funny things that happened. <laughs> Again, no one has ever used those words together on this show. Some <laughs> violent predators, some really funny things happen. Wow. Well, I You're have, mining I, this I think comedy the, gold. I think the the funniest one was I was interviewing a guy who had um, committed a number of rapes, and he kept saying oh, the last rape he didn't commit. He just went into this woman's house to steal his, her purse, and it was at night, and it was very hot, and her purse wasn't in the living room, but it was so hot, he just took all his clothes off because he was sweating. Yeah. And so he went into the bedroom, and of course, her clothes were off because it was so hot, and she was on top of the bed. Okay, you know, this is on the air. I don't know, want to know where this is going. Uh, well, he just said that he fell on top of her. I see. and It, no, it's, it was pure accident. He didn't had do anything wrong. All right, now that is disturbing and alarming. Does And you, as somebody who's working with him uh, in the psychology, how do, you, how do you reason that this can't be accidental? Or well, how, obviously, it wasn't accident. No, we, you know. I mean, we all realize that. And ha- but the, how do the, you... the funny part was that he would think anybody would believe him. I guess that is the funny part. And did anybody believe him? Of course I not. No, no. Of course not. That's... And he's probably locked up today. Okay, and that's, that's all which right. Which is where he belongs. And I just learned my lesson not to ask you any stories about working with these people. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Lauren, how long have you been doing this show? Uh Three years now. I should have honed my radar for good questions by then, right? Okay, very so. good. All right, my goodness. Let's 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 talk about. Okay, so you, you've written several books, and this has brought you around the world speaking. I know you've had speaking engagements, yes, I have. which goes right into your love of travel, and this is That's right. what I want to get into. You two have been married now fifty. 55 years. 55 years. That's what I thought. So obviously you get along pretty well. And you must have some similar goals in life. Now, you've also been traveling. As long as I've known you, which is now 40-something years that I've been around, you've been globetrotting. Right. Like forever. This isn't something new. No, it isn't. That you picked up uh, lately. And your house is full of beautiful artifacts and art pieces and folk art and interesting items that you've picked up from every corner of the earth. And I'm curious, what what do you get? This is obviously a passion for both of you. And what is it that you get from travel? Why have you made this such a priority in your lives? And I'm also curious if you're both looking for the same thing out of travel. I don't but think I'd like so. To... I don't think so. For me, it's like the the same interest that I have in deviance is, you know, in, in talking to deviant people, the, the, I have the same interest in talking to people of different cultures mm. and how they live. I just got back from Bhutan, for example, yeah. where my the thing that I like the best were going to our guide's home, talking to his wife, sitting on his floor, eating the vegetables that they grew, mm. or uh, going to his llama's house. 
Yeah, his llama lived in a, a very small uh, house, and we sat on his floor, and he said prayers and things over us. And it was, and we talked to him, and it was just fascinating. Or talking to a woman in Bhutan who's written a number of books, and she talked to us about women's roles in Bhutan. Mm. Yeah, just fascinating. Yeah, well, would you like to expand on Bhutan and some of the experiences you had there? Well, Bhutan... Uh, this is not a country that many people do get to visit. There is there are some limitations on to who gets to visit, how you visit. Yeah, it is yeah. very limited. You have to go with you have to have a tour agent from Bhutan in order to go there. Mm-hmm. Um I went with through a, a San Francisco agency and um there were eight of us. Um I four were us and, and four were other people. Mm-hmm. And we traveled all over Bhutan that there the roads are horrendous. Uh, there wasn't, you know, I think we had three miles of paved roads in all of Bhutan. Wow. Um, they are working on the roads, but the infrastructure is, is pretty bad. But And it's very mountainous, so I can imagine the beautiful. roads not being paved could be treacherous if it, yes, the weather's not good. Yes, they have landslides and, and so on. We oh. One place we, we just barely got through, and they... As we drove through this muddy road where they had, had just dug out the landslide, they said, um, well, we'll let you go through. We'll watch to see if the land is sliding while we're going through. Oh, gee whiz. Which is a little scary. Yeah. That's... But the country is absolutely beautiful. And because it's been relatively untouched, the people still wear their traditional garb. Mm. And the men wear these robes that they put around with big white cuffs and the women wear dresses that are that are wrap around and that are in the most beautiful fabrics they do some of the most beautiful weaving and so on it's really lovely and the people are lovely wonderful Uh, i do want to find out more we've got to stop for a moment to take a break and then we're going to come back and talk to doctors alan and charlene steen about some of their recent world travels following up from our last episode with Dr. Allen. So we'll be back in a moment. Lauren? We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa Valley Show. At 1440 on your AM dial in the North Bay and streaming live around the world at KVON.com, we're serving up a Thanksgiving feast right here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. That's right, Lauren Mole. Thank you. And again, I appreciate your being here and having been here for now. The show's been on for about three and a half years, and you joined only about a month after we started, I think. That's exactly right. You got it right on the nose. So thank you for being here for all those years. Glad I I appreciate you. I'm thankful. I'm giving thanks to you for being here. Same to you, Judd. You're a fine human being and a good civilian (laughs) of the community. (laughs) Thank you, Lauren. And I take that. I take that very personally. I'm honored. Thank you very much. We're here with the doctors, Alan and Charlene Steen. Doctor Alan, you've been on three previous times, sharing your stories. Dr. Charlene, we're meeting you for the first time on this show and having a, having a great time. And we have moved into the world of travel and world travel. You left us talking about Bhutan. Right. 
and your experiences there and how when you travel, just like um, with your work with the uh, forensic psychology, it seems like it seems like you really like to delve into a human type of experience. There's a culture of it. Even with the forensic psychology, there's a culture you're dealing with. And, That's right. And it seems like your world travels bring you into culture. And it's not just for you to observe, but you really like to participate. It seems like both of you do that. When you yeah. travel, you immerse yourselves in... Uh, well, whatever's going on, whether I know you've taken cooking classes, I know you've gotten into dance and music and, and you study the languages. So we were talking about your goals for travel and you said you, you might have slightly different goals, even though you've been doing this together for well, probably 50 years or more. Um, what, let, I, I'm kind of curious to get back into that. So do you want to speak to what it is you want, like to get out of your travels? And how many countries have you guys been to? It's got to be well over 100. I figure I've been to about 128 countries now. Amazing. I had counted them up. I had a list of countries. Yeah? And checked them off. And at that time, it was 126, and I've been to two more now, so I figure it's 128. That makes 128. Well, do you want to talk about what your goals for travel are? What makes it eternally intriguing to you? Well, for me, it's, it's talking to people and sharing with people and learning about their culture. Uh, I just find it fascinating. I tend to prefer more primitive countries than Alan does, Mm -hmm. countries that are less developed. And I loved, like, sitting in New Guinea, sitting up on a mountaintop with a woman who spoke a few words of English, Mm -hmm. who was um, the the first wife of, of one of the men there, and just talking about our lives and and hearing her complain about being the first wife because the second wife got so many more goodies. <laughs> but um, it was just interesting because she had never seen a stove or never seen a refrigerator. And yet, in a way, she was more civilized than we because if our electricity went out, we'd be, we'd be dead. What have we got? Yeah. Whereas she grew all her own vegetables, made all her own uh, yeah. clothes, etc. Right, right. Dr. Allen? Well... I think about travel. People once asked me, what's the, the, the most important thing for a potential traveler to be engaged with? Okay. Believe it or not, I think the experience, of course, is wonderful. But in order to obtain that experience, before you leave, you have to sit around and talk about where you want to go what you want to accomplish, what facts that ex- exist in the existence of people in that country, and it's what really what you do before you go that makes the trip. Mm. Thank goodness I have my wife, who is a fantastic researcher, who stays up till three, four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, there's no doubt she's an academic. She's going to put the research. But in. she re- she. She gets all the stuff, uh, she gets uh, everything aligned in a row. Mm. So when we go there, we're prepared to look at certain things, to do certain things, to enjoy it. And I think what it does to, not only for your enjoyment, but traveling with information makes a lot of difference in what you get out of travel. I, there's a quote from Mark Twain. You know, Mark Twain was an inveterate traveler. I don't know if you all know that. Oh, yeah, great, he was the, all over. The great American author. Sure. And he said, show me someone who has traveled around the world once or 
twice for that, which he did. And you'll sh- I'll show you someone who is not a prejudiced person. You know, we touched on that the last time you were here, and, and I, I think, think that there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think the, the variety of experience, and you see how other people live in the world, enriches your life here in the United States. An unfortunate thing is only, well, you might find this somewhat difficult to accept, but it's true. Seventy percent of the people who live in this country have never had a passport. Yeah, I remember we we talked about that too, and it it uh, I don't know exactly what it speaks to. I'm sure we could get into some discussion on that, but uh, I for one agree with Mark Twain. I think getting out into the world certainly. It can't help but expand your worldview and can help you understand how other people live, hopefully lend some uh, sympathy to your to your outlook on life, and uh, hopefully be a little more accepting of other folks. I have to tell you. I, I don't see a lot of downside, so I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that a lot of our fellow country folk are not getting out and having those experiences. People often ask me, how did you get started yeah. on this wandering around the world to many countries. And I think I've sort of narrowed it down that uh, I I won't go into the long story, but I took a patient back uh, to uh, Pakistan, to Karachi. Oh, yeah. uh, Many, many years ago. And uh, I think that experience, well, I called my wife. I said, what do you think about going to West Pakistan? And she said, I really missed it on this one. She said, if we don't go, I'll never speak to you again. <laughs> I thought, boy, I missed that one, didn't I? But, oh! <laughs> Just, uh, and I think that trip, we, it took us 33 hours on Pan Am number two. In those days, Pan Am went one direction, right. number one, and num- the other direction, number two. Yeah. 33 hours from uh, Los Angeles uh, to Karachi to Pakistan. And I think, and then we took a month coming back. Mm. Uh, oh, we, of course, being my wonderful wife. Of course. And, uh, and the uh, the patient I took only he came from from Swat, which is a part of Pakistan, mm-hmm. and he spoke the language Swat. And the psychiatrist who uh, he was a paranoid schizophrenic who went off the deep end. Oh. And the, the psychiatrist says, it's "Too bad I didn't understand Swat." He said. He had some of the greatest hallucinations he's ever had. But I think on returning from that experience of, of going overseas and, and, the, and the month coming back to people I knew from my training days in, in medicine, started us off on the concept that we could not live without extensive overseas travel. That was the, the beginning of our... Adventure of yours. I started when I was a kid because yeah. my father loved to travel. Ah, ah so, so you, you've been at it. That's so why I've been at time. it all my life. I don't know about you. I mean, you must feel somewhat, but I, I actually feel almost an, an an addictive quality. I have not traveled nearly as much as the two of you. I, I don't get as many opportunities, but when I do, for example, this past uh, spring, we did a Judd's Hill wine cruise in Bordeaux, France. That was my first time in France. I'd never been there. And um, there was something about being there. We stopped in London along the way, which where I had been before. So it wasn't the fact that it was a brand 
new experience, but just being in in a place where there's a different culture. I mean, even in London, I mean, they speak English. It's great. There's a lot of similarities, but it's definitely a different culture. And then going to France, there was something so invigorating and exciting about being in that and making new discoveries. Um, I mean, far from the primitive places that you were talking about, uh, Charlene, but still being in these places, it generates, uh, generated this excitement within me. And I don't know if it was releasing, you would know that both of you doctors would know if they're the endorphins or whatever they are, but it was stimulating uh, parts of my brain and my soul for sure. It was like, I need to do this again really soon. Yeah. This is amazing. And we take different types of trips also. They're not all the same. So sometimes we just go to Mexico to a beach. Sometimes, Which you do often. Yeah. So usually folks say, where are your aunt and uncle? I like, they're not home. Uh, call Mexico. See if you can find <laughs> them there. That's usually where they go. Yeah. And Or South America, where most yeah. Americans don't go, which is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, there are pyramids. There are cultures that are just – some of it is study of ancient history. Mm-hmm. Some of it is talking to the people. Some of it's lying on the beach. I mean, there's so many different varieties and different types of travel that you can do. Well, she mentioned – I'm looking at my uncle here. She mentioned she likes the primitive – uh, cultures and societies and experiences maybe a little more than you do. So what are you looking for when getting out into the world? Well, number one, I think you have to, in some ways, cease being an American. Mm. You must immerse yourself in the culture where you are and enjoy all the, the different benefits and the different experiences you get. In other words, you... One of my fellow travelers once says, well, it's not like the Hilton in Chicago. And I said, yeah. well, wait a minute. If, if I want to go to the Hilton in Chicago, I'll go to Chicago. Right, right. Uh, you, you want to immerse yourself in an entire different life experience and enjoy those changes in your life while you're there uh, getting, getting with the scene in the uh, foreign country. Well, it's wonderful. Well, how about some? Let's talk about some of the, your favorite moments doing that. Well, it's been lots of fun in France going to – I love champagne. I love to drink champagne. The drink, yes. <clears throat> so and we went region. to the area of champagne yeah. and had just a marvelous time. We stayed in a little hotel that had a marvelous restaurant. And we were, we were in the restaurant, and there was this kind of big burly guy who had a bunch of young people sitting around him. Mm-hmm. And he sent over a bottle of – Billy Carsamon champagne to us. Delicious. Which I love. <clears throat> it turned out it was Mr. Billy Carr. Oh, was that? And it was he was the with a himself. bunch of sommeliers from Czech Republic. And that was just a fun experience. And did you get to sit in with them? And, you yes, know, we talked to them for a little yeah. bit. It, but it was just, you know, the, the little experiences that you have that you wouldn't have at home. Yes, yes. That would have been wonderful. I've seen photos, of course, from your <clears throat> travels. There's one, um, Dr. Allen, of you. It looks like maybe you're making some bread or something in a kitchen in India. Did did you do something oh, yeah. like that? I went to the to the Golden Palace where the Sikhs pray, mm-hmm. and I made uh, uh, pancakes. What, what? I can't remember chapati or something. Chup- uh, uh, for 250 people. Oh yeah, they oh, feed yeah. the poor. Yeah, they take off my shoes uh, and bare feet and put a. A, a Sikh hat on, mm-hmm. and uh, I became. You had to disconnect, uh, and 
just jump in the pool and swim with the rest of the folks. It was really fun. Yeah, I would imagine uh, you would like something like that. The uh, the being a cook and and yeah, Alan and a, feeds the poor here at the table. I know. And we went to he, India. There he was doing it there. And yet. Some things remain the same, and some things never change. And wait, that's the same thing. I was redundant. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Well, the thing that remained was a sense of love and concern. Yeah. It, it was. It, it's just wonderful. You're, you talked about endorphins. I really had a high level of endorphins circulating at that at that point in time. Oh wow! But that's the part, the joy of yeah. travel. But you do have to disconnect. I think if you view things that you see as an American. With our I, whatever we do in our own country, it it, it it takes away some of the value and the fun mm-hmm. of the of the travel experience. So I, you got to learn how to do that. And, well, and it's it's for some people it's difficult. Well, and I think I've got that point of view too. And I understand some folks, in order to get them out into the world, they want to feel comfortable and somewhat safe and protected. I read a lot of travel blogs because it interests me and. There was just a posting by this one prominent blogger about staying at the – I don't remember if it was the Four Seasons or the Ritz-Carlton, one of those types of places in Kazakhstan and going on about how the service here and comparing it somewhere else. And I thought to myself, my goodness, you know, really you're going to go all the way there and stay at the Ritz or the Four Seasons, which I'm sure is lovely. But if you're going to Kazakhstan, don't you want to – Exactly. Immerse yourself in the culture and have the experience of, of being there. Yeah, I always, um, it seems too cocoony to me. Yeah. I yeah. always love to find little little hotels or little B&Bs in, in towns, for example. Mm-hmm. We were in, in Spain, in the Rioja. We stayed in a little village, walled village, in a, a woman's house who had uh, lived there for generations. And they were having the Rioja Wine Festival Ooh. while we were there in that town for the first time in 27 years. And the town was so small, they did it outside of the town, around the walls. <laughs> but staying in this little house with the, and talking to the woman and being in this little walled village and talking to the people and getting a, a sense of what their life was like versus our life. Mm-hmm. And there are positives and negatives. There are things that, that they enjoy that, that we could enrich our lives here and vice versa. Sure. I think we learn from each other. Oh, there's no doubt. And then, of course, having the Rioja Festival where we tasted all these wines <laughs> and bad. foods, we were so lucky. Well, I think that's very important. You know, you can absorb culture many ways by traveling somewhere and uh, learning a language, hearing their music, learning a dance, uh, reading the history, but through taste, through Absolutely. eating the food, drinking the drink. I mean, that's, that's one of the main... <laughs> Main ways I like to absorb other cultures. Did you have any of these kind of personal experiences in your recent trip in uh, Cambodia, Laos, that you just got back from? Did you stay at some of these little homes or inns? To um, the last hotel that we stayed in in Laos uh, was a small hotel that was owned by a woman who was, um, I think, was a princess of Laos. And it was a very traditional little hotel, and it was quite charming, and um, which was very nice. We didn't stay in in anybody's house mm-hmm. per se on this trip. But you had some local. Well, we did when and- we were when we we went to a a beautiful traditional hotel on Kolkai Ka Island off of Phuket, 
which was a beach part of this trip, where the the whole hotel was carved wood. Wow. You know how the the Thai carve these boxes yeah, and beautiful. screens. Beautiful. The whole hotel was carved like that. Wow. It was absolutely gorgeous. Aesthetically, it was thrilling, and unlike any American hotel that I've ever seen. Well, we just have a few more minutes. I'm curious. Have there been some experiences that, uh, you know, in the moment were, were not so great? Now you can laugh about, but some not-so-favorite moments? Okay, the hand just shot up. Dr. Allenstein. Well, we were in the, the highlands of New Guinea. Uh, the, I think to the – how many times have we been in New Guinea now? About? Well, I've been more times than you. <laughs> Anyhow, we were, we were in, in the highlands, and uh, – it's a, it's a society that doesn't allow, like, w- women to go to what they call the house tamburum, which is their oh. their church mm. there. Well, my wife is a very curious lady. Yes. And uh, I don't know whether you were aware at that time, but at any rate, I, I was. And she did. <laughs> and I was afraid that, you know, if somebody saw that she had been there, there might be some bad things happening. And- Actually, what happened, there was nobody in the town, and I snuck in the in the ceremonial house. Some of them women can go to, and some they can't. Yeah. And as I came out, there were several guys who came walking up with these long knives. Oh, great. And I thought, oh, my God. And um, I had a Polaroid camera at that time. That was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I quickly took a picture of them and gave them their picture. Oh. As it turned out, in that town, women could go in the in the ceremony. All right, they weren't coming for you. No. Oh, good. Well, but oh, I had yes. a different experience. Oh. I'm sitting by myself, and my wife is out wandering about in the, the highlands of New Guinea. <laughs> yes. And a, a bunch of men come up with the chief. Mm. And we sat down, and they were acting sort of strangely. And suddenly the chief says to some young man, blah, blah, something, and he hands him this big machete that was a dangerous-looking thing. I thought, those guys are going to cut my head off, you know, because we violated their whatever it was of the wrong people getting into their church. Aye. And, I, and, and I, I thought, well, here I am. I'm, my, at my young age, I'm going to get knocked off. What happened is... The, the kid grabs a hold of this big machete, and he comes over towards me, and I thought, I wonder if my insurance has paid off. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, silly, and he hops up a tree uh, and went all the way to the top of the tree and grabbed a hold of a coconut, came down, and then took his machete, cut the top off, and offered me a drink. Oh, uh, <laughs> The, the conversation nice. was climb up the tree and get this nice fellow a drink. So their hospitality program is intact. Yeah. <laughs> Just the communication between the English and, yeah, not... So, okay. well, I was quite worried. Uh, and it reminded me of oh. when we were in Borneo, and we were staying in a longhouse. We were sleeping on the floor of the chief of the little village in the longhouse. And um, outside of his door, there was a... a a bag that had a bunch of skulls in it. Oh. And that was and these people had been headhunters. And anyway, we were sleeping on the floor and I hear the I on heard, the floor below the bag of skulls. The skulls were outside the front door. Oh, okay. We were inside. Oh. In, in the inner apartment 
And Much more cozy. I heard heard noise, and he was walking. the The chief was walking around, and I thought, "Oh my God, is that going to be my head next? Is it going to, you know?" And what he did is get a blanket to cover me. He thought I might be cold. Ah, it's very warm people. Yes, we went to despite the skulls. They were treating you very well. We went to a festival in this treehouse yeah. where they live, uh, and they're having a big f- celebration because they just got a generator and a single tube fluorescent bulb. And they, they, we went to the the fiesta that, that, that this new addition to their the, the village that, that lived in trees. And my, what, what did you have to eat that I would not eat at that thing? Yeah, he made me eat all the, the weird things. Which you seem to like to do. I had all these weird things. I had fried grasshoppers, worms, and crickets. Yum. That were very, very crispy. <laughs> and the wine pairing? <laughs> <laughs> we, we're going to have to leave it at that. I hope we can have you back. I have just – I love hearing about your travels and your stories and it's been fun. I know that you go nuts for donuts, so I'm not going to ask, but I did bring you a little goodie box uh, from the bakery. We've got uh, a little pecan sticky bun and a little uh, apple fritter for you as a parting gift, so you can enjoy those. Thank you. Dr. Alan Steen, Dr. Charlene Steen, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. We had and a wonderful time. Thank you. Well, We're going to do it again. Lovely. This is Lauren Mole saying Happy Thanksgiving from Judd's Napa Valley Show. A Gilamar production. That's Napa Valley Show.